Um, I just, uh, for me, it's been a real chaotic week. So when I came in this morning, it's very refreshing to see brothers and sisters and uh, to be able to come together and praise the Lord and, and study the word this morning with you guys. You know what? Yeah. Yeah, if you guys want to move closer together, that'd be great. Is it? Yeah. Sure, I'll just, and I'll scoot a little closer to you. I could see you better. So, we're going to begin part two of the lesson that we started three weeks ago, I think it was, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, the title of the, the, the study was The Hopeful Response, and uh, talking about Paul's hopeful response of the Corinthian people to um, this letter uh, that he has written. And we're going we're gonna to pick it up in verse 13 after we pray and uh, go to the end of the chapter this morning. Father, I thank you for today again. I, Lord, I just praise you for your love for us. I thank you for, uh, Lord, the, the, the display that's in this chapter of Paul's love for the people so much that he, that he is willing to forfeit, um, Lord, his popularity, willing to forfeit uh, his love or, or, or give his love so uh, freely without concern of, of getting a, a return of love back. But Lord, he's, he's doing it so that they will love you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to understand and apply what we're learning today, um, Lord, to our lives this week. Lord, to bless one another, to, um, Lord, to stand against false teaching, and Lord, to handle your word correctly. And, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we pick it up, and we'll just read from verse 13 through the end of the chapter. He asks the question, how were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men that I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many 
who have sinned earlier and have not repeated, excuse me, thank you, and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery which they have indulged. So, um, in verses 13 through 15, Paul restates what he has already said in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 9 through 7, or 7 through 9. If we just look at that again real quick, he, uh, he says, And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so as surely as the truth of Christ is in me. Nobody in the regions of Achaia, Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows that I do. Um, and I know I read a little more there than what I said. But in, in only one sense was Paul different from the other true apostles, and that is that he was fully self-supportive. So the other apostles received aid and received help um, for their work in oftentimes in the place where they were ministering and so the apostle paul is stating to them as we've read in acts i think we touched on it last week or two weeks ago uh, when paul came to corinth what was the first thing that he did do you remember he got a job he was a tent maker he met priscilla and aquila and went to work with them in order to support himself and then later on, the churches from Macedonia, if you remember the churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Philippi, um, I don't remember them all myself, but the ones in the Philippi is the one that really sticks out in my mind because Paul is describing that they're probably more qualified to be on the receiving end of aid than on the giving end. Um, and they were the most excited and gave... Uh, in, in such a way that, that set a, uh, uh, an example for all of the other churches because even when they could barely provide for themselves, they wanted to be a part of the gospel message going forward and they were willing to forfeit putting food on their own tables to do that. And so, um, you know, you don't see that too much in the church today. You don't see a whole lot of that kind of sacrificial giving uh, to advance the gospel. So anyway, um, the Apostle Paul, in this case, when he's talking to the people in Corinth, he's saying, I was completely self-supportive. Uh, he took no compensation from the Corinthian people, and he refuses to change this. Uh, and, and he's telling them, and we're going to find out, we're going to see this more next in the next chapter, in chapter 13, in the next few weeks, that... His third visit is not going to be any different. Um, so when he comes to them for the third time, he's not coming to collect from them for himself to take care of his personal needs. But he does describe to them in, uh, in previous chapters and in 1 Corinthians uh, 16 as well, that when I do come, I'm coming to collect what you have saved for God's people, for me to take back to God's people. And it, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting picture because he, he's, he's describing it to them to be prepared. 
So, and I think about, uh, as I was studying this, I was thinking about this past week. How often do we throughout the week get involved in our own lives? And I'm guilty of this. I mean, I had a lot of things going on this week. Are we not thinking ahead to the next Sunday, to the next time we're going to meet together? And what kind of things God wants us to do for one another or for the body of believers or for kids club or for our missionaries that we support um, the bibles that go into the into the prisons and things like that that do are we preparing for that are we thinking about those things throughout the week you know and so it, it convicted me a little bit because i sat and i watched last uh, a few weeks ago where you know somebody came in and said hey would you like to help out with um and maybe you guys were involved in this as well, but I'm not going to mention any names. Would you like to help out with this? Um, would you like to buy some tickets for an event? Sure, you know, uh, yeah, I, I can help out. And I buy some tickets, and I put them in my, in my wallet, and, and the person that came after me, unknowing that I had just bought some tickets, came and says, yeah, I'll buy some tickets too. Do you have change? No, we don't have change. Okay, you know what, you just take it all. Oh, and by the way, take the tickets and just give them to yourselves. And I went, wow, Lord, you're still teaching me how to be a giver here, you know? Um, not, not that I was discouraged because it made me look bad or anything like that, but I was looking at it going, wow, Lord, you're able to teach me through somebody that has no clue that they're teaching me anything. And I got up and left and I was like, wow, okay, cool. Um, because of, just because of the teaching, you know, that was in that. And... Anyway, I got off the subject here now a little bit. But the Apostle Paul is saying, this is how you love people. And uh, he, he's refusing to take any kind of compensation. He lovingly wants the gospel message to go out to them. And not only that, but people who have already received the gospel who are struggling with, okay, but what do I do with this teaching over here? And what do I do with this? And so he, that are, that are kind of, getting pulled every direction Paul's going this is how it's going to this is how God wants it to be and I can tell you because as we talked about the proof and the signs and the wonders and the miracles that were performed I can tell you he's he's saying I can say for sure that what I'm teaching you is true and it's right and what you're getting over here is wrong because and he he gives the apologetics behind it um, so anyway uh, in 13 and 14, you know, he says, How were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Um, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a, I know you expect to do this. You expect to pay for what you're getting. And it may seem wrong to you, but it's not. And, it, and so he says, Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should, have to save up, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He's saying, I want to lovingly care for you spiritually. Um, and I don't want it, you to feel like you have a material obligation to me personally. The material obligation is to Christ. The material obligation is to people who have who are in Christ, who have needs. And we'll look more at that in just a minute. But if we look at Romans 13, um, 
verses 7 through 10, we're going to see um, similarly what he teaches about paying people what is owed to them. And I think in our culture, Romans 13 is a difficult passage for people to understand. And, and I'll explain why in just a minute. So if you read verses 7 through 10, it says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, then pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so as I read that, I got to thinking today, how many, how many of us have financial debt? Probably all of us. You probably owe somebody something for something. Uh, and you may, you may be able to say, if you are, hallelujah, praise God, I don't owe anything. I, I am debt free. I don't owe on my house. I don't owe on my cars or anything like that. And if you're able to say that, hallelujah. Do you use electricity? Do you pay for it in advance? No, it's given to you with the expectation that you're going to pay for what you used last month, right? Okay, so, so there's, there is an element of debt in every person's life. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who have a lot of debts that before they'll pay their debts, they'll go to McDonald's and buy a Happy Meal, or they'll go to McDonald's, or they'll go to Marshalloni's and buy a lunch meal, or something like that. And you probably can, there's probably names that come to your mind as well. And I can even look at my own life and say that there was a point in time when I did that too. And so in our culture, I think this passage is difficult to understand because we've become a so self-serving fast food type of culture that we feel like it's owed to us that if we want something, we should be able to get it, and people should just trust that we're going to pay for it later. Okay? What's that? Yeah. And, and so that, so you want to present an image of something that's not true about yourself. You know, we want to present an image of, yeah, I'm doing pretty well, you know, I'm, doing, I'm working hard at my job, and I'm getting paid well, and that kind of thing. And so we've got, I mean, there's, there was a time in my life where I had a car that I could not afford. I had a vehicle that I could not afford to pay for, you know. And there were times I'd call up the, the, the creditor and say, you know what, I just can't make the payment this month. Can I defer a payment? And they would say, well, if you pay the interest, you know, you can, if you just pay the interest, your, your standing, your credit standing will still be good. And that's another false uh, false belief system that we have is if we have a good credit score um, that we're actually good with money. And I, <laughs> I, see, I see commercials. Uh, I see it one particular commercial. If you watch Newsmax, you may have seen it yourself. Um, but 
this commercial of this young woman who, who downloads this bank app to her phone uh, and, and all of a sudden she is approved for a credit card. And she says, it feels, now my FICO score is going up and it feels good to be smart with money. And I'm going, you have no idea what the FICO score really means. If you have a high FICO score, that means you have taken, char you have taken debt and you've paid high interest and the banks go, we like you <laughs> because you're paying it back and but you're also paying the interest that goes along with it and they're making a lot of money so your credit score goes up and so you know anyway I'm getting off the subject but that's the culture that we live in today and so when you when you read um, don't leave any debt outstanding except the debt to love, it's kind of a blurry, it's, it's hard for us to understand because of the culture we live in. And so you have to take on the attitude that first he says, pay everybody that you owe. You make sure you give back what you take. If you're not doing that, you're not following Christ already anyway. So the debt to love that's outstanding doesn't matter because you're probably lost. You need to hear the gospel message first. That person needs to hear what Jesus did, how he laid his life down, how he loves people unconditionally and loves them to the point that he gave his own life so that you will change, so that people will change and be more Christ-like. And so then after that, as a follower of Christ, and we look and we teach and admonish and encourage one another, there's got to be an outstanding debt to love every person in the body all the time. And that's how people will know as we look at John 13 uh, real quickly. That's how people will know that you are Christ's disciples. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Of course, the Old Testament says, uh, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus deals with that with a, a teacher of the law um, earlier on. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so I think that the timing of this command is important Jesus is telling his disciples this the night before he's going to be executed, the night before he's going to be crucified. And he, he says it twice to them. I think if we, I don't remember where it's at, but in the same evening he says, he gives them this, he gives them this command. Yeah. Oh, I thought, okay. <laughs> okay. If we back up to Matthew chapter 5, he gives a similar command in, in the Beatitudes. Um, and a demonstration of love. If we start in verses, we just read verses 43 and 44. He says, you have heard it, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, how easy is it to pray for somebody that you consider an enemy? How, many is it to, how easy is it to pray for somebody who considers you an enemy? 
you know. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I like to be a people pleaser. And if I know somebody doesn't like me, I'm like, oh, what? What did I do? <laughs> you know what? Years ago, I, I heard a, this. Is, this is a true story. Years ago, there was a, a gentleman who was in World War II, got in his pastor's car, that was a Toyota. And he got in the car and he was going somewhere with him. And he said, he looks at his pastor. He goes, "This is a Japanese car, isn't it?" And the pastor says, yeah. He goes, it's a really good machine. You know, he says, it's a good running vehicle. He says, I can't stand this car. Yes. And he goes, he goes, what do you mean? He goes, it's just a car. He says, I saw what them boys did to our American people. And he says, I will never, he says, I will never buy a Japanese car. And, and I was like, you know, you don't think about those things if you've never been there in that place. And uh, I was like, wow, you know. <laughs> so I said, well, <laughs> my, my smart aleck response could have been worse. It could have been a Ford. <laughs> then you'd be walking probably, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But <laughs> Oh, Matthew 11 or Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Now I have my opinion about different cars and all that kind of thing. You know, you can you can say today, you, um, you know, Ford right now. And Ford's a good vehicle. They, they're building good cars and trucks and stuff. But the problem is, is what the money that you invest in to the company is going toward. Um, you know, they're building a couple of trucks now that have a rainbow on the side that are LGBTQ. Am I saying that right? Oh. Okay. Well, you get the idea. Anyway, that. They want to be supportive of alternative lifestyles and that kind of thing. Um, the CEO or the president, I think, of Ford Motor Company is op openly um, homosexual. And, and so it comes down to it's not, it's not the person, it's the sin that they're involved in that we have to oppose and demonstrate Christ to those people. Uh, What's that? Well, actually, in the Old Testament, under the law, it was acceptable to hate your enemy and it, to the point where, uh, you know, they went to war over, they, they would fight over those things. They would kill people. They would go to war and kill um, people who were against God's law. And so when he says, you've heard it was said, this, this is something that was a standing law that when Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm here to fulfill the law, He's here to say, okay, we're going to take it a step farther. You know, so if you go, if, even if you go back to the Ten Commandments, don't, you know, um, you can go through every one of the commandments and Jesus will say, it's been said, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Jesus says, I say, don't even lust after a woman because if you do, you've already done the deed in your mind. You know, so the, the Old Testament law deals with the outward actions all the time they're constantly dealing with the outward actions and this is why jesus deals with the pharisees the way he does because he says you know you may wash the outside but the inside is still filthy because your desires and your attitudes are not being dealt with 
And, and so when Jesus comes to fulfill the law, he's taking that this, the, to the next level uh, to where we deal with not only what we do, but we deal with the motives for why we do it. And so he wants to change our attitude and our, our way of thinking. Yes. Oh, yeah, Romans, uh, what, what, it's a, in Romans, he, it's a quote out of a proverb. Um, I know which one you're talking about, but I don't remember exactly where it's at. Um, <laughs> you know what, and, and sadly, sadly, we look at that verse and we'll use it as our motive. I'm serious, and that's not, and we miss the point of it. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's so many passages. Jesus says, if, if a man steals your shirt, take, give him your coat too. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, now, I'm, now it's going to bug me because I don't remember. If anybody's got Google, go ahead and find it. Um, yeah, but it speaks of... Romans <clears throat> 12.20. Yeah, I should have known it was Romans 12. Yeah, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And uh, that's, a, that's a quote out of Proverbs verse, chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. And uh, yeah. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think it's important to, to add that verse to that. Um, the point isn't revenge. You know, and he, yeah. Right. Right. And if you ask the question, who deserves God's love? Nobody. If you, if you don't include yourself in that, then 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 we call God a liar according to John but at the same time if we say I'm more deserving of it than this guy over here then we think that then we're saying that works can get us some can accomplish something in our life works can contribute to our salvation and so then we take and we we take the power of the cross away from what its purpose was and so, anyway, we, we really cheapen grace in that, too. Um, right. Right. And so, I think I've told this story before, but my, my two boys, when they were young, they wanted revenge on each other, and they fought with each other. And so, I brought them into the house, and I said, you know what? I don't know how to deal with this anymore. You guys are fighting all the time. So I think about it for a minute, and I, I send them to their room, and I give one of them the belt, and I tell the other one, lean over to bed. And he's like, what? What's, what's going on? And I said, you're going to give him a spanking. I said, I'm tired of doing it. You, you spank your brother. And he's like, what? No, no. And uh, I said, oh, don't worry. I said, when he's done, you're going to spank him. No, 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 we want you to do it. I said, Okay. You know, and that, that kind of settled things for a while. But the bottom line is, is if it's, it's when I want revenge, 
I want it to be this way. And I think that when God actually does the things that we think should be done to another person, and he actually pours out his revenge on it, we're going to be looking and go, and, and there's going to be tears. Because God's vengeance or his wrath, that when it gets poured out, we're going to look at it and go, wait, no. Don't do that. They don't, I don't want them to suffer. And I don't, I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but I do know this, is that there's going to be people that, that I've looked at and said, you know, I want to get them back. And God is going to show me I love them because I created them in my image just like I did you. They're receiving this because they chose the path that they live. But at the same time, we're going to look at them and we're going to wish, I think, in our own lives where I would have been, I wish I would have been more compassionate. I wish I would have showed them love. I wish I would have told them about Christ. I wish I would have let this go, this, these petty things go. I wish that I... and. I, I just think that that's going to be part of the judgment that's going to take place um, according to, you know, what Revelation tells us is that we're going to reign, we're going to rule with Christ, we're going to sentence people to hell with Christ um, according to Revelation. And that's going to be a difficult day. That's going to be a hard day. Um, anyway, back in uh, 2 Corinthians There's a couple other passages um, that pertain to that, and I, I can give them to you later on if you want. Um, one of them, if you read Colossians 3, um, verses 12 through 14, reading up to that, Colossians 1 and 2, we won't turn there, but I'll just kind of summarize it for you. Colossians 1 and 2, he's talking about setting your hearts on things above, setting your minds on eternal things, transformation by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes through a list of things of attitudes and obediences that that he wants to go through and then after that he says that the most important the highest ethic somewhere in verses 12 to 14 he's saying the highest thing that you can do is learn to love each other and work and strive towards that um and uh but in uh, verses 16 through 18 of second corinthians chapter 12 he says, be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. He says, did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you and I sent our brother with him. Titus did, uh, he, Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? So in a couple of places, what's that? Uh, that was verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 12. And if, we, if you remember, as we've been going through 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, um, in chapter 12, verses 5 through 16, and chapter 8, verses 16 through 24, Paul is describing his connection with Titus as his co-worker. And he sends Titus out. Titus does the work, and Titus comes back. And if you remember... Uh, in chapter 2, Paul's getting anxious because Titus hasn't returned in the time frame that he thought he should. And he's worried that Titus has been tarred and feathered, more or less, uh, because of the message that he brought. He came to collect. 
um, the, the offerings that were collected for God's people in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul's getting nervous, and, and, he's fine, and after he gets nervous for a little bit, he turns his focus, and, and we see him actually exercise what he teaches, transformed by the renewing of your mind. God, you're in control. Titus is okay. He's in your hands. I need to focus on the work that you put me here to do. And he turns his focus, and he continues to preach. He continues to share the gospel message and goes on. And so that example is set for us. So in, in chapter 7, he describes how Titus arrived, and he was overjoyed. Uh, chapter 8, he says, I'm sending you Titus and the brother um, to, to prepare my coming, my next coming to you. And so the false apostles, are, they get together and they make the suggestion that Paul's refusal of compensation is just a cloak to disguise his love of money. So Titus and one of his companions was implicated in this as well as an accomplice here in chapter 12. Um, Paul asks the question, what's the evidence of this? You know, he's asking, did I exploit you? Did Titus exploit you? No. Um, he's asking, is there any hint of misconduct? Had any of them exploited the Corinthians? He's not telling the Corinthians... Uh, not to give, okay, what he is telling them is don't give to me personally. Um, he's not asking them to pay for what Paul is doing. He's not asking them to pay for the gospel message. And so uh, what he's telling them is to give to God's people. Give it to the Lord, the ones who are in need. He could, he could live with the fact that their love for him may never match his that their love for him could never match his love for them. So when he says, um, verse 15, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? That's a, that's a kind of an interesting question. Um, he's setting the standard of love for them. And, and he's, what he's really kind of portraying here is that even if it, you, it never gets to the point where you love me like I love you, I'm going to continue to love you this way. And so um, the one thing that he could not tolerate was that they accused him and his associates uh, of an underhanded form of self-gratification. And so he, he's, he's not willing to put up with that. He's, he's just got to defend that um, to make sure that they understand that he's truly doing it out of genuine love. And that's hard for them to grasp, I think. And so it's hard for me to grasp, you know. Um, how easy is it to, to give to somebody? Uh, and this is, this is just the way, this is our nature. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out with something this week. And then next week, you're going to help me out with something in return. You know, that's our, that's our way of thinking. And that's not a, necessarily a bad way of thinking. But Paul says, what he's describing is that the attitude is, give without expecting anything in return. Okay? And I heard it put to me this way one time, and, and I've, I've, I've done my best to live by it since I heard this and understood. Don't ever loan anything that you're not willing to give away anyway. 
So sometimes people go, hey, can I borrow this? No, you can have it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do just kind of say goodbye to it because I don't know if I'll get it back and I'm probably not going to ask for it back. And that's right. my nature. I've just never been one to hey, you know, you owe me five bucks. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily like if someone wants to borrow something, I'm not necessarily gonna just say, Yeah, here go go ahead and keep it. Right, and right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes even I mean, I've I've tried to, you know, I've tried to pay people for doing things that, you know, people have done things for me and I've tried to pay them. No, no, I don't want anything. I don't want anything for it. And and I find myself sometimes even getting a little offended. You know what? No, you're going to take it. You know, to the point where I've gone up and I stick it in their car, I hide it in the ashtray or whatever, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And people have done the same to me. So I, you know, I've had both ends of that, of, of that spectrum. But um, as I was studying this, I, I've come to realize that, you know, I, this week I tried to pay somebody for doing something for me. And, and they said, no, I don't, I won't take it. And I wanted to go, okay, well, you know what, then you're done. Pack your things. You're, I'm going to go find somebody who wants to work and wants to get paid for it, you know, and I kind of got a little bit of an attitude in my heart before God got a hold of me and said, don't do that, and I thought, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I go about doing this, and it was another Christian, it was another believer, so I was, you know what, so I sit down, and I'm going to, I'm going to explain to them, I want to give you this, and if you don't want to take it, I understand, do this for me, take it and put it in a drawer, and when you find somebody else who has a need, anonymously give it to Give it to your pastor and say, hey, I want to help this person out and, and just let it go on to, to the next person. If you don't want to hang on to it, okay, let me be a part of the blessing to help somebody that I don't even know. Let me give it to you and then you pass it on to the next person and let God do what he wants to do with it. And I was like, ah, okay. You know, um, that's, the way, that's the way God wants it to be. And so, you know, just in studying this, I came to realize that because What's Paul doing? He's, he's coming, he's going, I don't want anything. You guys take up a collection, 1 Corinthians 16. When I come, you be ready to give it, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to give it to God's people. And they're going to be able to be blessed by it, and I'm just going to be the messenger. And so it's kind of a, it's a really kind of a cool picture there uh, of that whole thing. So um, in verses 19 through 21, just real quickly, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I will not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come, again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery which they have indulged. 
So the motive behind the teaching all through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that God is the judge. Paul's not doing this to appear a certain way in front of any individual or to, to satisfy any person's uh, expectation. Um, when he says that God is the judge, he, he puts it into a legal uh, type of picture for them so that they're saying that this is not a human court. This is not a human uh, debate or, or uh, prosecution or anything like that. He's saying, I want to stand right before God. I want to stand right knowing that I obey Jesus Christ. And I thought about this as I was working on the roof this weekend because uh, I wanted to tie myself off because I'm kind of a chicken on the roof of a two-story house, you know. And uh, my son-in-law, he's out there, and he's, he's in his bucket truck, you know, and he's doing his thing, and, and I turn around, and he's on the roof. And I look, and here's the bucket sitting right here at the edge of the roof. He climbs out of the bucket onto the roof of the house. I'm going, like, what's the matter with you? <laughs> you know? He's like, oh, he goes, I don't wear harnesses and stuff like that. He says, I've seen more people hurt wearing harnesses than not. And... <laughs> And so I'm praying about this for the next couple of days, and we're gonna, still going to talk about it. But, you know, you may see more people hurt from wearing harnesses, but you see fewer people dead from wearing harnesses. You know, because insurance companies are the ones who put those, those guidelines in place because they, don't, they would rather pay a doctor bill than they would a life insurance policy. You know, so it's financial, of course, from their aspect. Um, but anyway... You know, it brought me to the point where, okay, how do I put this in perspective so that he'll understand it? No matter what happens today, if I'm standing before God today, am I going to be able to look at God and say, I did what you told me to do, and he's going to say, okay, this was my plan. Or am I going to be able to stand before him and go, I know God, I should have wore a harness, but, you know, we just needed to get it done. <laughs> you know, if, if my response... We look at so many things from a human perspective, and, and God is trying to look at us, trying to help us to, to view things from a spiritual, heavenly, outside of the physical realm. And, and this is, this is kind of where we're at with this, that everything that we do today is going to be judged by God in His court, not here. And that's where we need to be. So in 1 Corinthians 4... We'll look at verses 3 and 4 real quick. Say that again. Yeah, yeah. Verses 3 and 4, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but it does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5 as well, he mentions this again. And this has to do with dealing with sexual sin in, in the church. No, I'm sorry. This is I'm I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians 5. Um, but anyway, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, he says, "For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us 
for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Um, you know, here he's in, in this chapter, he's describing that while we live in this tent for, of a body, we may suffer, we may struggle, um, we may have difficulties, but the decisions that we make are going to be judged by God, and they're going to be judged with fire. And uh, whatever remains, that's going to be our offering, our gift to the Lord. So the difficult letters that are written by Paul out of concern for the people who struggle to obey, to settle down, um, and settle the disorders in the church before punishment became necessary. When he says, for your strengthening, he's, he's trying to help them understand to avoid God's judgment or to avoid God's discipline. Okay, judgment on those who are not his and discipline on those who are his. And so the false apostles are attempting to revive their their former divisiveness so when you see the eight sins i'm going way past here real quickly just the uh the eight sins that are listed in verse 20 and the uh the ones that are listed as well in verse 21 um all of the ones that are listed in verse 20 are always found to be undealt with issues that are in a church that becomes divided so if you look at those eight things, you can look at those at your, on your own time. If you read through those eight things, when you find a church that's divided, there's usually one or more of those things in the church that are undealt with when it comes to the leadership. And in that case, you will almost always find the sexual sins hidden somewhere in that body within some of the people. Uh, and there is, there's, and this is just statistics and it's as well as the scripture that uh, the end result is a lax in morality in the people that are there. And uh, when you read Galatians 5, I had this passage down, but you can go there on your own. Um, Galatians 5 begins with walking with the Spirit so that you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And as you get through there, you see the, the fruit of the Spirit. And then you see the things that are contrary to the fruit of the Spirit as you get through verses 20 through 25. Um, take a look at those when you get home today and, uh, and, and just start examining. If we examine our own lives with these passages, you, I think you'll begin to see that um, God will do some pretty powerful things within the body of believers uh, of people that are that are willing to do that that are willing to examine their own lives more with the scripture than what we already are so thank you for your attention this morning god bless you guys